I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hey there, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, the paranormal pop culture show with Den of Geek. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max Streaming Service and Discovery Plus. And we are currently filming our seventh season. So very excited about that, obviously. And today we're talking about UFOs, UFOs over West Michigan. And I'm going to start with a quote that has been repeated a lot about this particular case. And it is simply, I got UFOs in my backyard. And that's what eyewitness Cindy Pravda of Grand Haven, Michigan, said to a friend while she was talking on the phone on March 8th, 1994. But there's a couple other quotes that are perhaps less famously associated with this case, but are very notable. And they include, quote, yeah, there's something big down there. That's really strange. It's moving towards the west-southwest. Looks like a big blob. I've never seen anything like this. Not even when I'm doing storms. These aren't storms. And that, quote, is attributed to one of my guests today. Because on the night of March 8th, 1994, according to the Chicago Tribune, more than 300 people in 42 counties saw something a series of somethings over Lake Michigan. And we're going to be talking about that today on the close to the 30th anniversary of that event. My guests, first off, uh, become a buddy of mine. Happy to call him a colleague. I see him at a lot of events. Bill Konkoleski, state director of the Michigan chapter of the Mutual UFO Network since 2004. He joined the organization in 1993 after reporting some of his own personal UFO encounters, and now, along with his MUFON responsibilities, he also does frequent public presentations on the phenomena and has attributed to uh, contributed to numerous UFO-related books and television productions. He's author, also the author of Experiencer, Raised in yeah. Two Worlds, and yeah. also Experiencer 2, and he returns to the Talking Strange show for a second time, I believe, and also joining is Jack Bouchon. Now, he grew up in Muskegon, Michigan, and knew from an early age that he wanted to be a meteorologist. Having always been interested in the weather, astronomy, and science, he received a bachelor's degree in meteorology from Florida State University, go Knowles, in 1988, and he was 29 years old when he was working at the National Weather Service in Muskegon on the night of this dramatic UFO event that he tracked on radar And shortly after the event, he moved to Georgia and became a hydrometeorologist. He retired in 2016 after an illustrious career with numerous awards and promotions. And now, after a long bout of silence, wants to share what happened on the night of March 8th, 1994. So let's get to it. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. it's It's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, Bill and Jack, it's it's a real honor to have you on here. I know I've been kind of I've been talking to Bill for a long time, saying we gotta gotta get Jack on the show. So I'm glad that we're doing this. Um, 
uh, gentlemen, I, I mean, Bill, actually, why don't we start with you and why don't you just sort of set up this story and give us the bare bones of this sighting, this very large kind of mass sighting that took place 30 years ago. Okay, so it was uh, the uh, tail end of winter of uh, 1994, and the night of March 8th was the peak of a small wave, uh, meaning small in number of days of sightings. But on March 8th, uh, the lid really blew off, and it was a major event. Um, and it had over, as you mentioned, 300 witnesses um, across 42 counties. It was on the southwest side of the state of Michigan, um, where the major city of Grand Rapids is, as well as Grand Haven, Muskegon, um, Holland. And the sighting started right after the sun went down, and it was early evening, and people were seeing strange lights. Now, what people were seeing when they were seeing them at a distance were solid colored lights it would be a solid colored blue or green or yellow this is most of what mufon was getting in doing wild erratic maneuvers snapping in and out of formation and people who were seeing something closer than that were generally seeing very large craft silvery metallic with multicolored lights all the way around it and people were calling 911 about their sightings now, if you think about it, um, I've been in doing this UFO thing for a long time. Most people don't share their sighting with anybody except maybe family member, friend, or spouse, whatever. Uh, and to even reach out and tell somebody at all about that they saw a UFO is a big step. And talk about a really big step is to call the number that you call when somebody's trying to break into your home or you had a heart attack. Call 911. There were over 60 calls to the area 911 reporting UFOs in the sky. So these people were very affected by the sightings that they had. Um, it caused them to rush out and contact the police directly. Um, there are several witnesses, including uh, Cindy Pravda, uh, whom you mentioned, who's still very uh, much uh, getting the word out about that particular event. And uh, I can go through um, a little more of the evening or i don't know if you just wanted the, the basic setup because i can go into the graves family and officer jeff feldhouse uh oh yes i i do i'd like to hear more yeah. about those eyewitness accounts but bill you this was a year about a year less than uh from when you started with mufon mm -hmm. I guess my, where were you at this point? Did you, had, did you see anything in the sky? You personally, not that I'm I, trying to pin it on you. <laughs> no, that wasn't an interrogation question, but where were you at? It was me. I had cellophane up and I had a <laughs> flashlight. Um, so uh, I had actually joined in the fall of 93. I'm on the East side of the state in the Detroit area. And this was within six months of me becoming a member and I was not nearly yet trained to be a field investigator. Um, I had I was just fresh and bright-eyed into the organization, um, very excitedly hearing the next tidbit about that particular evening. And frankly, it's funny you bring it up. I thought, oh my gosh, is it always going to be like this? Is it always going to be this exciting? 
and that was about the most exciting thing that's happened um since you know since that time but uh yeah so i i wasn't boots on the ground i was just getting it uh directly from people who were investigating it and very excitedly thinking you know the what a ride I'm going to be on. And it has been an exciting ride apart yeah. from a big event like this, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't make it over for it. Well, I want to bring Jack in, but before I do bill, uh, connect the dots, create the bridge from these eyewitness accounts, nine one one, and then, uh, the entry point to Jack. Sure. So, uh, with all these calls coming in and all these sightings, the police were, um, starting to, to realize that something strange was going on. That wasn't easy to explain, but they weren't seeing it themselves until um, the Graves family, a family of four uh, in the Holland area, uh, called and said that they were witnessing a UFO across the street that was still there. Big silver disc, all the colored lights around it, mother, father, uh, son and daughter. And since it was still there, amazingly, um, they, the police dispatched an officer to go investigate, and that was Officer Jeff Felthouse. And he went to their home, and he witnessed it as well. In fact, he brought out a pair of binoculars and saw a second one off in the distance, much like the one that they were uh, that they were very close to. So now the um, the police have their own, you know, they have an officer of their own actually witnessing this along with a family of four. And they were looking for additional verification about what was going on. Uh, from what I hear, they tried to contact the airport, um, local airport in Grand Rapids. They were not able to get a hold of anybody and looked to um, anywhere um, where anybody had any sort of radar. And they reached out to Muskegon's National Weather Service and got a hold of Jack. And that's New York City saying hello in the background, but uh, I'm seeing different kinds of lights right now. But Jack, talk about your entry point into this and what you recall. Like, walk us through that initial phone call, what you remember about it, and then what you started seeing. Okay. Uh, it was, I think it was about nine o'clock or so, maybe 930 and uh, when I got a call, I was completely cold. They just said that they had reports of lights in the sky. And one thing that I'm I'm interested in that, that you didn't mention, besides weather, is aircraft. I flew a lot when I was a kid because my mom lived in Florida. My dad lived in Michigan. So I was constantly flying between Michigan and, and, uh, and um, Florida. And I always had to go through O'Hare Airport, which was amazing. They had an observation deck, and I just would go up there and take pictures of the uh, aircraft when I was a little kid, like uh, anywhere from, I started when I was four years old, although as an unaccompanied minor, all the way up to uh, 18 years old doing this. And so uh, so I was very interested in aircraft. And, uh, and so I always had my eyes in the sky, either due to weather or due to aircraft. And I tell you, you know, everything I saw in the sky, um, and even to this day, I could explain as aircraft, really. So me, myself, even though I've looked all my life, I have never seen anything I couldn't explain. And it's it's too bad. I would like to see something. But but anyway, I, I came in and, um, you know, I, I never really had it in the back of my mind as, as UFOs uh, coming into this because even though I was interested in astronomy, really, I wasn't really a UFO buff at that point. 
uh, there was a coworker that was, uh, that was, and even my boss in the station is now deceased, was a UFO buff, which was really kind of interesting because the way he took it after the event, he was really trying to poo-poo it, even though he was a big UFO buff to begin with. And that kind of made me a little perturbed a little bit. But um, but anyway, so I was pretty cold into this. and And because I was so interested in aircraft, and I'm learning on the radar. I, I'm not quite, I'm beyond training, but, you know, I'm still trying to get, uh, you know, in, in the really heat of the moment, severe weather. I have to go in there and really know the radar really quickly because everything is just fast. You know, get a warning out with it. Look on the radar and get a warning out within a minute if you have severe weather. And you got to do things in the dark and all that. So so I was used to doing that. I, and I had practice looking, you know, what better way to 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 try to um, uh, manipulate the radar than to chase uh, aircraft. And I always knew that if I, I would look for aircraft on the radar and uh, because it's just, all it is, is it was, it's not like a, a FAA radar where you have a big scan of the whole sky in one swoop. I'm, I'm just looking at like a flashlight in the, in the uh, you know, say you're looking for a fly you know, that's flying around the room and you're trying to spot it with a flashlight. And that's that's kind of like what I was trying to do. So it's it's basically cone shape that goes out um, and the radar beam gets bigger and bigger as it goes out. Um, and so I'm I'm basically doing a sweep side to side going back instead of letting it go around. I took it off the automatic rotation. I have two cranks to be able to go side to side to paint the uh, any objects and then also go up little by little, kind of just going, you know, kind of back and forth as I rose. And finally, I found something and it looked like an aircraft. It was probably the nearest aircraft to the radar that I had ever seen. And it moved like an aircraft at first. And it was right in the location where uh, Officer Velthouse said and the dispatcher, I, I was talking to the uh, the dispatcher who was on the radio with Officer Velthouse at the time. So, uh, so it was in the location that they were saying, and I said, well, there's, there is a something there and it's moving like an aircraft. It was moving to the West Southwest. And then after about 30 seconds, it just stopped and hovered. That's when it started getting interesting. And it was up at about, I'm, I can't remember exactly, maybe five to 12,000 feet, somewhere in that, that medium to higher range uh, place, uh, higher than like, for instance, a Cessna or something like that. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, and actually, you know, you wouldn't see a helicopter at night hovering that high up either, no reason to. Uh, and it def definitely was uh, going faster than a, for instance, a, a balloon and you wouldn't have hot air balloons at, at night anyway, especially in the winter like that. So uh, I knew it was something, but when it stopped and hovered, um, that that was a little strange. But then all of a sudden it just went out and, you know, I just saw it started seeing multiple returns. It just kind of snapped out and started acting crazy. It didn't it didn't move like a gentle uh, gentle aircraft anymore. It started moving erratically like like uh, a hover, you know, zoom hover zoom hover you know and so on and basically it would pop to uh, to its location stop for a few seconds maybe 30 seconds and then move again and it would do it in a right angle so it would go out 20 miles then it would switch directions go out another 20 miles in a different direction all 
kind of going towards the southwest, but it would go west and then a little south and then a little west or southwest and so on. And so that's when I got really exciting, uh, excited, especially when it became perfectly aligned with the radar beam. So I had my radar beam, and that's at this point, uh, it was boom, 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 radar, object, 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 all in the beam, all lined up perfectly with my radar. And then it disappeared. And then I was using, I could go up and down, of course. I had another scope where I could see the vertical structure of it. And it was making a triangular shape in the vertical, like it was like it was vertical triangle. And, uh, and it was like that. That's when I said, oh my God, what is this? Not only is it lined up with uh, the radar, uh, but it is, it's, um, uh, it's making a formation. And, and when I was trying to, you know, tell the dispatcher what level it was at 12,000 feet, 16,000 feet or so it, it moved again before I could finish. Uh, and, and then it, it went from that vertical triangle to uh, a triangle that was horizontal. It snapped this way and then split out uh, 20 miles apart from each other. So it was really kind of close within about maybe two miles of each other in altitude and and uh, and uh, distance. And then also, and then all of a sudden it, they were all at the same altitude, but they were in a triangular formation 20 miles apart. And they kind of stayed at that, that always at 20 miles apart formation, um, but they would also jump 20 miles. So they would jump 20 miles. And then the other two, the, the first one that I saw, the main one that was close to the radar, that was the biggest, um, would jump 20 miles or so out towards Lake Michigan. And then the other two would follow it. So I would see boom. And then, and then it was not a triangle anymore. And then all of a sudden the other two would come in and form a triangle again. And that would be over Lake Michigan. And it kept doing that, snapping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In the meantime, I didn't know that there was that many people that had seen it. I heard there were, well, I guess maybe he did say there were dozens of calls, but they didn't really describe the movement. But that's when he said that the the objects were uh flying apart and coming back together again. And that's what I saw on radar. They were flying apart, coming back together, flying apart, coming back. So so what I was, at that point, I knew what I was seeing on radar, I was, people were seeing on the ground and that really sparked my interest, you know? And uh, and, and that's, that's how it started out. Well, let me ask, just kind of like, a, a slight aside kind of backtracking sure. a little bit i don't want to sure. necessarily get too in the weeds with how radars work because i will i am already outside of my depth way outside of my depth okay. but but i've read a lot about sort of your manual control of of this radar and and you mentioned you know using these two cranks and using this as a bit of a spotlight was that standard operating procedure for meteorologists or is that something that because you were already a fan of aircraft and and you liked kind of keeping an eye on everything that that was something somewhat uh special to you and your and your interests uh both it was both special to me and my interest with with aircraft 
So I'm glad that it happened to me and not somebody else, because I don't know if anybody, any of the other guys, there were five guys that rotated on shift. I don't know if the other guys, they were older, all Vietnam vets, and I don't think they would have gotten excited as about it like I did. But the thing is, too, is that, yes, we, we during severe weather, during when we're looking at thunderstorms, uh, we do, we do, uh, or we did take it off the automatic rotation mode and we would look at the three-dimensional structure of a thunderstorm so that's how you had to learn how to 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 you know operate it manually where you would kind of look at the storm and then you would and then you would you know kind of paint it in the vertical because you want to see the vertical structure you want to see how tall the thunderstorm got um and uh, because that the, the the basically in a nutshell the high the 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 more developed a thunderstorm is in the in altitude, the stronger the thunderstorm is. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So so yeah, there was um, both really, and uh, but uh, but yeah, going in the manual mode was not a um, uh, was not a, a a rare thing to do at all. It still sounds. I, I just kind of like those little uh, serendipitous moments in these situations where you as a guy that was already kind of fascinated with aircraft that you were at the wheel, so to speak. I know. I know. Isn't that interesting? It yeah, is. It it's very, you... I'm, I'm glad it happened to me. Any other guy. And I, in fact, when the other guy came in and I showed it to him, he was just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> he saw it and then he saw him moving. You know, I don't, I don't know what was going through his head, but he just was very nonchalant about it. <laughs> the, and you, Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you say that altitudes? I know that altitudes were kind of shifting. Was yeah. was did it get up to sixty thousand? That you believe? Yes, it did. It did. That's 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 a hell of a that's, that's a, a hell of an altitude. Jump. It seems. Yeah, to me. yeah, and 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 you know, I, I learned about helicopters too. Is you can't have a helicopter uh, a hel if if a helicopter is going to get up to sixty thousand feet, it has to move be moving forward at a pretty good clip. Uh, if they can even get up that high, but if but at that at their ceiling level, you have to be moving. Helicopters, the the higher helicopters get, the less likely they're able to hover and stay aloft. You, they have to have some kind of lift underneath the blades in the forward mo uh, rotate, you know, because the air is so thin up there, you know, and so uh, you know to hover up at that height. Um, well, you would think it would be could be a balloon, but the thing is, is they were moving. You know, uh, they they were they were moving in such high speed. You know, and just like that, and and there was no, I didn't see an acceleration. I just saw, you know, bam. You know, it was just and then stop on a dime. You know, just just as if I could imagine if I was on the ground, saw it, it would look like a streak of light going just, you know, and then and then. And then stopping twenty miles away at a distance, you know. Did so, did it? Can you anticipate? Could you estimate the the speed that it would take for this thing to do this kind of snapback movement? Um, yeah, you know, I, I I did. It took me a while to you know. I was a little conservative when I just said ten miles in ten seconds because I knew I had to look for it again. But but when when I you know, when I think about the one time that I actually did see it between sweeps, you know, I'm probably doing it like a clock, like tick, tock, tick, tock, you know, with the, with the radar going boom, 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 boom. You don't want to go really fast. You, 
you know, you might break the pedestal but, uh, of the radar, but but it was about a second each. And so it would it would be from one spot to 20 miles away within one sweep, which I would estimate is about a second. So to move 20 miles in a second, that's pretty intense. And I only saw it do that once. The other times it took me, you know, a few seconds to find it again. But but there was that one time when when I did see it here and in one sweep and then all of a sudden I'm over here and it's there and I come back and it's not there but it's over here you know and so that and that was about one second yeah so um you know that's that's incredible to 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 um the the acceleration on that and the speed is is intense meanwhile I'm sorry Jack was I right that you may have uh uh, estimated at one point it was 72,000 miles an hour. Yeah, 20 miles in one second is about 76, well, it would be 60 times. Um, yeah, uh, uh, let's see how, how that, well, one, one second and 20 miles. So if you think about 10 miles in one second, uh, that means that it's going... Um, well, it 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 came out the the math came out to about seventy some some thousand miles an hour. So, Bill, amazing. For I mean, yeah, it's a I mean, it's, it's especially a in within the atmosphere. You know, the only thing that goes that fast outside is outside the atmosphere, and that would be an air a spacecraft that's on its way to another planet. You know. Yeah. Um, so, Bill, this is happening. We've got the National Weather Service. We're tracking this thing. We're seeing this sort of triangular formation we're seeing this rubber band snapback motion uh taking place at times we're seeing a straight line formation so this is happening with jack and jack's uh center meanwhile on the ground we have people that started out calling this in maybe they saw this thing uh you know looking out at their barn seeing it in the sky above and then we're getting a lot of phone calls coming in uh, what else how does what jack is experiencing matching up with what the ground reports are and wh what kind of happens next in this story. Well, one big detail was when the UFO started to move away from the Graves' home and Officer Velthaus, he hopped in his car to uh, pursue it. <laughs> um, at one point, it disappeared, and that did correlate with one of the jumps that uh, Jack had mentioned and so for Veldhaus, it just simply disappeared. It vanished in the sky. Uh, he saw no sense of movement, and it just just tore off that way. Now, there's a, a story, and it may even be something that you're alluding to, that I actually myself just learned very recently. Um, there were a couple of uh, campers um, out on the beach. Now, now mind you, this is... <laughs> This is this is winter in Michigan on the side that's got the the lake effect. So it's 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 very cold. And why these people were out camping on the beach is, is that that's a strange enough story as a, as you could get anyway. But um, so the story goes, according to one of our field investigators, uh, Virginia Tilly, that they saw a UFO, a disc out over the lake and a part where there was water. Now, keep in mind, most of Lake Michigan was frozen at this point, except for a patch at the very southern end. And they saw a disc. It looked like it was uh, hoovering up water, sucking up water out of the lake. 
And um, along with their what they saw, they apparently saw some sort of man in black type character. That's their story. Um, looking at them, observing them, and that that frightened them even more. Now, the the reason that this story uh, took a while. Um, one of the things about being in uh, MUFON and just uh, the paranormal investigation field, I think, just broadly, is that uh, a lot of people that are in this field are very entrepreneurial. Um, they 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 have their projects, they have their books, they have their podcasts, they have their special interests where they'll go out and investigation, either as part of a group or by themselves. So um, Virginia actually took this moment in her time with MUFON to sort of uh, start her own group, her own investigative group. And she never really ultimately rejoined MUFON. I never met her. Um, I never heard her story. I never heard anybody else tell her story. And then when the recent production happened with Unsolved Mysteries, um, she shared that. And now that's the question I I get all the time about this event was uh, that particular moment on the beach that that couple saw that UFO. Now, this is part of Jack's story too, um, that when the UFOs took off from the land, they congregated. Um, and this is what he had seen and pardon, you know, correct me if I'm getting it wrong. There were what dozens of craft. Dozens, absolute dozens. Yeah. Yeah. And it, since it was further away from the radar and closer to Chicago, they, they were small, but they were, you know, they were, cause it was further away, but there were dozens of them and most of them were hovering but a couple of them I could see actually kind of meandering around between them, which was really weird. And this would be a three-dimensional, you know, a blob of, you know, objects. Um, yeah. Is it, is it, in your opinion now, and, and Bill, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I've, I've read that people, some people as far away as uh, 200 miles uh, from this were reporting seeing something in the sky um actually uh, jack did you ever go outside and just look up yourself and see hey can i, I see anything out there i did but i you know because there's so many trees in the direction i wanted to go to i did kind of almost walked out to the to the runway a little bit but i couldn't see anything but when i came back i called we have a hotline where you just pick up the phone you're on the phone with the faa tower control tower and I asked the guy, he was by himself on the ship at that, that hour. And I said, did you see anything strange? We've been getting some reports of UFOs down in, uh, in, in uh, South Haven. And he said, well, I didn't see anything on radar. And I'm thinking, and I said, I wonder why I get it on my radar, but not yours. But I know the FAA, they, they, they have to use transponders, at least in that point, where, where if the aircraft, you know, they need a transponder on there to, uh, to actually relay their their altitude and the the flight number and all that but um he said he didn't see on his radar but he saw three what he saw was three aircraft in formation down there so he saw it visibly from his tower that's a couple hundred feet high and uh you know which is an, interesting that an faa guy would actually admit that because when i tried to get more about that the faa was very tight-lipped and they all are tight-lipped I had a little stint in and with the uh, aircraft or with the FAA where I worked uh, just for about 30 days, um, you know, for some uh, for some new stuff. And uh, and they were really they're basically the boss said, you know, and I'm not letting you know, I'm not saying anything that's not secret, but 
before he opened the door to the to the uh, room where all the aircraft air controllers are, he said, anything that you see or hear in here, you're not allowed to bring outside this room. That's what he said. So I know the FAA is very, very tight-lipped about stuff like that. You're never going to get anything from the FAA, never. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned, yeah. So, Bill, uh, and, oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say, and, and case in point is, uh, well, the O'Hare uh, um, uh, incident uh, where there was a disc on just above the uh, the airport, and you hear the the uh, the tele telephone conversation where the guy wouldn't believe one of the United Airlines representatives that there was something above this one terminal, the one terminal, and he said uh, he laughed about it, but then he said even if I saw something, I wouldn't tell you. And so, and that is true. You know, they're going to either laugh about it or they're going to you know blow it off. That's and, and to clarify, that's a separate incident. That's not that's this a separate incident. incident. Yes. Yeah, right. And it reminds me again of the Japanese Airlines thing in Alaska. That was a very similar thing. That was very yeah. yeah. Well, as far as the just kind of keeping with the narrative for another moment, mm -hmm. Bill, this yeah. is when you kind of create a timeline of all of these sightings, the phone calls, what Jack's experiencing and tracking. Are we looking at how long total were these things being seen out there? If my recall has the earliest reports somewhere in the 5 to 6 p.m. hour. And really, Jack said, uh, I think you said that you were seeing up up to like 2 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, corrected? I was watching until 2 a.m. And if you excuse me, I, I, I should have gotten this uh, earlier, but but there was there is a um you know since i've been on on uh, unsolved mysteries there have been a lot of people that have been writing me in and this uh, fellow has has uh, sent me a message stating that he was a pilot uh and and evidently uh faa uh air traffic control in chicago did know about this going on according to this fellow because he said he was a pilot both pilots saw it but they actually told him as he was coming in from the east to the west, way over Lake Michigan, which was pretty close to where those that that hive or whatever you call it, that swarm of of UFOs were. Uh, uh, he he was asked, "Do you see anything at your at your three o'clock?" And he he specifically said, "You know, you looked over there, and yeah, he said he saw all these. He did see it." He saw it with his own eyes. Same thing that what I saw on radar, and so I, I got. I'll, I'll send you the uh, a copy of this message. We'll take off some names, but but he was a pilot, and there was another pilot that saw it too. That was on the radio at the same time. The air traffic controller specifically asked pilots, "Do you see anything to the north of you?" Um, and they did uh, say yes, and the pilot, you know, they they did see it. They affirmed it, you know. This was the uh, the the cargo pilot uh, that reached out to you after the unsolved mysteries it, episode aired I, I in twenty twenty two. It may have been a cargo pilot. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you already heard about this guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Please, but um, please send that along. I mean, I'm sure I will through yeah. my own yeah readings. I've heard a little bit about that, but right. So, Bill, with if this thing is kind of activity is taking place for several hours. 
it's just so peculiar to me that we're also not hearing about some sort of military being scrambled in the area. Has there been anything to that to speak to I that? Haven't, I haven't heard anything related no. to a military presence or the military visiting people who had reported anything. Um, nothing along those lines at all. The question I actually thought you were going to ask is where's the photos and videos if it was a, uh, a several hour event and they do exist. Uh, I have pictures and videos from at least two different witnesses and for the picture it's an all black screen all black and you see a tiny white dot in it for the video it's all black with a jiggly white dot in it and you don't know if the light is moving or if the person just can't hold the camera straight right. it, it's they're essentially worthless um yeah and there's no, there's no even guarantee it was at night. It could have been just somebody like, haha, I'm going to take a picture of the streetlight and send it in. Really, nothing further could be confirmed from it. Yeah. It is. It is. Then, oh, go on. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah. If you're, I was going to slightly uh, change the topic to something that happened after March 8th. Please. Okay. So, a, a kind of a humorous follow up. Um, it, it becomes humorous at the end. Uh, so uh, Dr. Michael Swords, who was representing KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies at the time, um, this is JL and Hynek's group that he founded after Project Blue Book folded and based out of Chicago, a uh, group made mostly up of uh, PhDs looking into the phenomena, small group, very scientifically minded. And so Dr. Michael Swords was out of Kalamazoo and they asked him to investigate. So one of the places he went, he went to the National Weather Service and he interviewed Jack and they did a series of sketches together um, for the event. Did they not have the radar data? Is that any longer? Uh, it I, I, it was not too long after, after the event. I mean, this, my supervisor uh, and his supervisor gave the approval to talk to this guy since he was a scientist and he was from a local university. And uh, so, so he was the only one that officially we had the, uh, you know, after the fact, soon after the fact interview. And so, uh, but, uh, but I had already made, you know, sketches on my maps that you, you all, all, you know, it's been on TV, you know, you see it. He actually, so, so I showed him the mask. He actually copied what I was showing. So, um, but, uh, but I, I had the, you know, but everything I, I, um, showed and I, um, and I believe I have the tape for that interview. So I went through the conversation, mm -hmm. through our conversation so I could say, and I would, I would play the tape and then turn it off and say, okay, this is where it is right at this point. And then, you know, and then start up and, and do it. Over. And so it took, we had a meeting for about two hours and then I went uh, to take him to the radar and I, I actually said, yes, you can. I want you to know that you can see aircraft with this radar and I'm going to show you. And I went ahead and, you know, looked for an aircraft flying and, um, and showed him uh, an airplane flying and, you know, obviously flying, you know, see its movement and see what, and I showed him what it looks like on the radar, what kind of signature shows up. You know, I'm up quite a bit in altitude, so I'm not getting any kind of a, a, a bounce uh, that, you know, some what we call anomalous propagation or or where you see ground clutter, you know, 
and and uh, uh, so uh, so he could see it. He could see what it looked like on the radar. He could see on what we have. It's called the amplitude scope, and that shows the strength of the object uh, of of how much uh, radar energy the 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 uh, that's echoing off the object. And when and it spiked, you know, just like uh, any like just like the UFO did, showing that it was an aircraft because it's a solid shiny metallic object that you can you know um that would have a you know a big spike all the way to the top um and showing an enormous amount of power coming back even if i pointed it at a building i wouldn't get a spike that way because it's made out of concrete and has uh, a bunch of other kind of uh you know angles and all that too so so it shows so it, you know when i had a spike like that i'm i'm pointing at a hard, shiny surface metallic object. And that's what it looked like when I was looking at the UFOs, just like an aircraft. It was, it had the same signature as an aircraft, but it was just moving at extreme uh, high speeds and very erratically. So um, it was still, and as I said, it was still a flying tin can. It was just moving at very uh, um, erratic and enormous speeds with, really big time acceleration and you know inertia well and i i want you to just to kind of define a little bit more you know briefly this notion of ground clutter this anomalous propagation because my understanding is that it's like basically ground clutter there's there's uh crap on the ground that sometimes the radar depending on the conditions is going to pick it up and it's on the ground but it you know it's reading as if it's in the sky but and that's such a layman's uh, definition of it. But tell me why why you're certain it was not that. Okay. Uh, that when when you're seeing ground clutter, you're going to see it painted with an in a big area, kind of a blob. And you might see some, you know, some hard and you know some some high and soft values, but. Uh, but it's also going to be close, and of course, it's going to be when I have the radar leveled, you know, closer to the ground at about a half a degree. Uh, the, the way that we are uh, trained to to be able to get the uh, uh, to to keep the uh, radar from having that uh, amount of ground clutter, uh, so that we could see if there's rain there, because because basically, if you know what rain looks like on the radar, that's what the ground clutter looks like. So there's a big difference with with what it looks like. Number one, um, because it looks like rain is the ground clutter, but uh, uh, it doesn't look like aircraft. It doesn't look like one pinpoint. You can't with ground clutter. You don't get just one pinpoint. Uh, you get a whole array of of junk. And not only that, but um, but I had the radar going ten times the the level that normally it is at. And the higher you go up, the you know you you get rid of that ground clutter. So I'm going up with the radar the radar beam up higher off the ground. So I'm not going to get that ground clutter. I'm going to penetrate any inversion uh, layer that's going to be able you know because it's just like a mirage. When you look at uh, for instance a mirage or something you know like even if you've noticed it, you know, like, let's say, for instance, you're on the ocean or the lake and you're at a shallow angle and, and you're looking at the reflection off the lake 
you're going to see a reflection there. But if you if you actually go deeper, then that's when you can see it down into the surface. You don't have that reflection anymore. So it's the same thing above here. At a shallow angle, you are going to reflect off an inversion layer. But if you go higher up, and, and you're going to penetrate it. And so that's why uh, we're told that if we want to see where rain is, we have to go up higher with the radar, and and we can. Um, and and then we can get rid of all the ground clutter. So yeah. because I was seeing it 60,000 feet, you don't get ground clutter at 60,000 feet, you know? And so uh, so anybody that says that, wow, it's just ground clutter. Number one, ground clutter doesn't move. Number two, it didn't look like ground clutter. Number three, I had the radar manipulated to where I wouldn't see ground clutter, so. And I yeah. appreciate you um, defining <laughs> ground clutter in a way that, for the most part, I understood. So oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. It's not any <laughs> Bill, this is you've got you've got a lot of people calling mm -hmm. in, calling into nine one one. A lot of people reporting sightings. You have cops involved in this. You've got a uh, meteorologist. You have respected people that are all kind of forming this story outside of actual debris or wreckage from one of these things is this is this pretty close to a a i don't want to say perfect but pretty great accounting of this strange incident yeah yeah for sure um if it's okay i'm gonna finish what i i started saying and then i, I will totally jump back into that um the humorous part of dr swords coming out to to, to oh. see jack was that um, two weeks after um, they did those radar sketches, um, somebody did a Freedom of Information Act on the National Weather Service and got a copy of those sketches. And that's oh. actually how MUFON ended up getting them. Really? Um, who knew that you could do a, a Freedom of Information Act, a FOIA, on the National Weather Service? <laughs> but they did, and they got those sketches uh, out of it. So that's okay. pretty funny. I didn't know um, yeah, it, this was a massive case and one of the, the biggest. And I, I really think why it didn't just really stick a better landing was the lack of a single good picture or video of it with all the, the many witnesses. You know, people want the, you know, that 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 part of it, like if you compare it to the Phoenix Lights, another major event but i mean if you talk about how strange this event was versus the phoenix lights um i mean this is arguably a stranger uh event than that but no pictures no videos the the story didn't even really um uh, make its way into the, the, even the broader ufo community i think until ufo hunters did uh something on it and gosh when was that um, but, and, and they, it, it was a very small part, you know, uh, and I think that, um, it was forgotten again and it wasn't until Unsolved Mysteries did this bang up job of, uh, of putting it all together and putting it out there that it, it really made it onto the map. And for me, I mean, this is a very important event. I started MUFON and this happened. And to me, this is, you know, one of the... Uh, best things uh, of being in the UFO field during my time in it 
And yet um, people just generally kind of shrugged it off and they, they're like, okay, show me, you know, show me more. I'm like, well, you can listen to the audio tape mm-hmm. of the people calling into 911. If you go on YouTube, there's still out there. Um, I think it's called Ottawa County UFO. If you look that up, um, you should be able to hear these people calling in. In fact, you can hear some audio of the dispatch uh, speaking with Jack as well. And a lot of the transcripts of uh, people's 911 calls are out there as well. So tremendous documentation, uh, a great number of witnesses and uh, and a very big deal and a very important part of, I think, UFO history in general. Now, and it begs the question, well, if they bring it, if the if this is an alien civilization, let's say, and they come down and they have this big beach party in southwest Michigan one night, how come how come we're not seeing more of that? What was so special about that night? Why there were so many of them being so dramatically open um, and having all these witnesses and uh, part of Jack's story that I'm not sure if everybody caught on specifically, it seemed like the UFOs knew that they were being watched by his radar and reacting to his radar. Yeah, um, I, I, they looked like they were showing off. They really did. Do, do you feel, hey, Jack, like <laughs> do you feel like this was that you were kind of being, I don't want to say communicated with, but that this was for you, for you as an audience of one or whoever else was manning the, the radars in different stations? Uh, it, it, immediately I did. It When I said, oh my God, what is this? It looked like they were. I mean, you see this one little aircraft moving like an aircraft, and then all of a sudden, boom, it goes right into like lined up with my radar now i I, you know this was uh i believe uh you know i remember the gulf war uh you know the first one uh to get iraq out of kuwait they were talking about you know that aircraft could see when a radar would lock on them and that's exactly what i did you know i wasn't a radar that was just going around and around all of a sudden i locked in on them so I was continually kind of uh, sending electromagnetic radiation of the radar frequency, you know, in their direction. And so they must have known that I was I was sitting there watching them. And I mean, they if if it was any kind of advanced technology, they would know that just like a, a military aircraft would. And so um, so that's that's what I feel is that they they knew I was looking at them. And it made me worried because I thought they were going to send some kind of energy. I'm serious. I thought they were going to send an energy pulse back at me and then the radar console was going to like blow up into sparks and stuff. And I was worried about that. You know, I was thinking, do I need to get my, my, my eye goggles or something, you know? um, And, but it may, it felt, I was, creeped out. I felt creepy. I felt like I was getting, you know, the hair was going up, you know, on the back of my neck. Um, I was interested and curious, but I was wondering, are they going to do something to my radar? And boy, are they going to be mad at me if I, you know, if they burn the radar out. But uh, because I thought with advanced technology like that, they could. Um, And so um, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really felt like they knew I was looking at them and, but then they were, you know, I, I kind of wonder, you know, 
And, and it reminds, you know, I mean, you know, I, I never really studied UFOs up until that point. And then I did. And so I was getting to the crop circles, you know, stuff like that. And if these crop circles are real, you know, if you notice, if these are a real thing, phenomena, and they're not hoaxes, uh, then you can see they, they communicate in geographical, uh, you know, in geometry, they're, 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 they're not geographical, but, but in geometric formations, they're, they're, they're communicating with geometry. They're, they're doing patterns and, and formations and stuff like that. And, and it was like, they were kind of, you know, is that how they communicate by their movements, you know, um, communicate to one another, you know, uh, and to others, um, you know, uh, it's one of those questions I got to wonder, you know, but, uh, you know, but, it, but it, they were giving a good show to the people on the ground. They were giving a show, a good show for me. Um, they were showing off, you know, them going really fast at high speeds and then hovering. Um, if they didn't want me to see uh, them, they would have just gone away, you know, in a hurry, but they stuck around for a long time. And uh, it's like they waited for me to catch up to find them again. Then they moved again. Then I could find them again. And same with, with people on the ground. They gave a good show to the people on the ground, going apart, coming together, going up and down vertically, horizontally, um, looked like Christmas tree lights up there. Um, you know, if they didn't want to be seen, they wouldn't have lights on like they did, you know, so. I, what strikes me about your story, Jack, is it seems like this profoundly impacted you, the way you talk about it. And yeah, definitely. I, I want you to I want you to go into that a little bit. I mean, you talk you I think you should most certainly talk about it personally and professionally, because for a long time you were not talking, and for a long time your name was not out there as the guy. Um so talk about, you know, just that profound impact, but also how this kind of turned your world upside down for a while. And then bring us full circle to why you started talking. Um, well, when it first happened, I was talking to all my friends and family about it. And the family was interested and they would listen to me. Uh, but uh, because my family knows me and they know that I've always had a scientific, you know, curiosity. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I was, tw I was one of 20 questions to my dad. I must have drove him crazy. But, um, but anyway, um, you know, but I noticed that I would say 50% of the people that I talked to about this would just give me that blank look like, you know, just, I'm sure you've had it too. You, you talk about it and they give you this blank look like you're crazy. And that was an uncomfortable feeling. And so, and then when I, you know, they didn't asked me to move to Atlanta. They told me basically, you know, they, I was told, you know, we were going through modernization and we were closing the Muskegon office, but I really had the sense that when everybody from Muskegon was moving to other offices in Michigan, for instance, either Detroit or uh, Grand Rapids, 
that I wouldn't be invited to go there, you know, when I, when the office closed. So I knew I had to get out. My supervisor said, Jack, you need to get out of Michigan. And even though I wanted to live there the rest of my life, mainly, um, I was really interested in the weather in Michigan because it's so uh, interesting, you know, and I love snowfall forecasting. I loved snowfall amount forecasting. And uh, and look where I am in Atlanta where it doesn't snow and I'm pretty bummed about it. I was pretty bummed about it. And so I didn't want to move, but I was forced to move. And uh, so it in order to keep my uh, career and, and yeah, the the other guys and in, in the weather, e even if they found out, I mean, some guys would see a UFO hunters or something like that and they would make fun of it. But. Uh, and, or they would see, you know, on, on my name on, you know, some stories or something like that uh, regarding this. And yeah, they would make fun of it. So it was really something I didn't want to talk about. And if anybody asked about it, that was uh, a meteorologist or any other professional colleague, I would just kind of say, eh, it was just something that happened. And, you know, I've moved on. But when it finally, when the when the military or the Navy finally started come out, coming out about it and saying it is a big thing. And I, what I always thought was why they needed to pay attention and talked about it was because it seemed like something that was, uh, a, a could be a danger to civilian and, and other military aircraft because I mean, man, they're moving at high speeds. They could collide with something. And I always thought that, and I understand why when you got these things in the air, why aren't you worried about this? You know, and I, I just couldn't understand it. To me, it was like something that was real. It was there. To me, it was like, no, you know, I went through all the steps of could it be this, could it be that, could it be that, and I ran out of possibilities. And so it had to be something that was uh, you know, either military or something else. And, but I couldn't see why military would do something so dangerous in a, in a very, uh, um, you know, crowded airspace with, you know, with, with O'Hare right there and all those airliners, you, you wouldn't, I, I, you wouldn't have military doing testing of aircraft in that area. It just wouldn't. You know, it just would, it would be so negligent and, and, and dangerous. I just can't see how it could be military. Uh, you know, so um, it's something else. We don't know what it is. Uh, and so I, yeah, I uh, finally came out and said, basically, it was like, I told you so. I told you there was something to this. And so uh, that's why I'm finally coming out about it. Well, this I mean, not, I mean, if I wanted to write a book, I would have written it a long time ago. If I wanted to get any kind of, uh, you know, uh, my 15 minutes of fame, I would have done it a long time ago. I really wasn't, you know, asking for this. I just want to know what it is, number one. And number two, I want people to know, especially since I have, you know, the scientific observations on a radar that I would think the military would be interested in knowing and yet they've never asked me. Nobody really from a higher up level has ever asked me, what did it really look like on radar? Tell me in the in exact high science radar level what you saw. And nobody has asked me about that yet. And so I am going to do a science paper. I am I am writing it right now uh, to, 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 to talk about in detail how the radar works 
and how it looked on the radar. And then I'm going to go through all the different things that it possibly could have been and say, well, it can't be this because of that. It can't be this because of that. So I've run out of things that could be, you know. Bill, why, what do you attribute to this seeming lack of, lack of interest from the government regor- regarding this case, both in the immediate aftermath and even 30 years later, even after the 2022 Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> episode kind of brought renewed interest to the like what why aren't they expressing some sort of curiosity about this you it, okay so there's a couple of different things that i think you might be saying is one is why didn't they independently investigate it and my assumption is that they have you know they had access probably to all the records they needed um, anything that came out of the National Weather Service, they could just collect um, the police, you know, with through a, any connection within the police department, they could probably just get those reports. There weren't any photos or videos that were released. So there's that. And uh, who knows what their own radar or their own um, aircraft essentially captured over Lake Michigan itself. That's not anything that they would share with us. So I, I think it was probably for them to whatever degree that they were interested in this and probably pretty interested in something of this scale that the, there would be no need to to show themselves. They, they could collect all the information they needed without ever having some sort of spokesperson anywhere um, revealing that that's what they were doing. And even the MUFON cases, um, uh, you know, it's probably, you know, was very easy for them to to collect anything out of uh, MUFON if they wanted to uh, discreetly, unfortunately. But you've not heard of any witnesses that were approached by any uh, kind of... Not a no. single one. No. Do you... No, no, no. Bill, I, I, I feel like... somebody, but no. What's that? I expected to yeah. be contacted, but no, no. Bill, I feel like we've talked about this before, and it's worth asking this question again. I mean, what's up with Michigan? I mean, we have, Mm -hmm. in 1966, we have the, over Ann Arbor, I believe, um, a a fairly large sighting. Gerald Ford, uh, before he was president, he was congressman, I guess, even demanded further scrutiny into this. I think it was a Project Blue Book case, right? And Mm -hmm. um, they dismissed it as swamp gas which I Mm -hmm. think really irritated Ford. Um, So that was 66. So that was just about uh, 28 years before this one. Right. And then we have this one and then we had Ken Ross. We've, and we've got multiple things happening. What's going on with Michigan, Bill? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not getting very much attention either. No. (laughs) We're more than just a great lake state. We're the swamp gas state. That, 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 that expression swamp gas came from, um, J. Allen Hynek. So this was not only just a blue book case, they sent Hynek himself to to investigate it. And during a press conference uh, that he did to the Detroit Press Club, which is also on YouTube, you could find his press conference. He said he joked something like, yeah, like a, like an aliens would fly so many light years to come to Earth just to land in a swamp. You know, maybe that is what people, some of people are saying. Maybe they're saying marsh gas or swamp gas. And um, then the press was off to the races with uh, swamp gas. And yeah, so, and people then started saying, you know, I know what I saw and what do people do when they get upset with the the government or military? They 
write their congressman. And so they wrote to Ford and visited Ford and called Ford. And so he had um, um, a uh, asked for an open congressional hearing on UFOs, which did happen. And then after that, it was roughly um, after the late 60s, it was 50 years before another open congressional hearing on UFOs, which is stunning that half a century went by um, since the late 60s before the next time that UFOs got this sort of political attention. Such a, yeah. such a, yeah. And and I am encourage anyone that is joining this on video and live stream, register your questions in the chat, please. Um, I'm going to be wrapping up with these gentlemen soon, but, but Jack, I, I don't, I don't intend this to be like a Barbara Walters question. And yet I'm thinking you as a younger guy who grew up being like, just sort of a fan of these weather patterns, being in love with this, and and aircraft itself you've spoken of your fondness for michigan it seemed like you had kind of like your perfect job at this time this thing that yeah. you love to do and yeah. then this thing happens where you're reassigned yep. kind of pretty officially and yep. 30 years later you're still trying to get back to michigan and <laughs> I, I i'm just kind of well i guess the first part is like would you have rather this not happened so you jack could have just continued on with this job that he loved and had led a, a fairly normal meteorologist <laughs> meteorologist life you know i like would you have preferred this whole incident not happen actually no i think uh because it uh i'm too curious I'm too curious I've always been curious about i mean geez i i remember being five years old looking at the sky looking at the stars, wondering what's out there, you know, is there other things out there? And, uh, and that would have been the 1970s. So yeah, I've been, but this, this made it real, you know, I mean, you know, I kept hearing, you know, knew about UFOs, but they would say that these pictures that I would think, oh my God, that is awesome. And, and people would say, that's oh, just somebody threw a disc, you know? And so I didn't really know how, how real is this? but this made it real i mean there was no doubt you know there's there's either you know first you know first it was like and i was i kept going back and forth military ufos military or you know uh extra or, or something unexplainable you know non-human intelligence um and and then you know i i decided that it can't be military now. So, so it, it, it's really turned me into number one, it's awesome technology, which I wish, I honestly wish it would have come out by now. If we had it, I wish we had technology that we knew about that. Can, that's, you know, anti-gravitational and, and can alternate alter uh, gravitational fields. Um, but, uh, but I thought, I thought for sure, if it was something that was human uh, made that we would have known about it by now, it's been this long. Um, I'm, I'm, and if it wasn't, I was certain that we would have at least found life on other planets, even if it was microbiologic and we haven't seen, you know, I, although I think they have, they're just not saying it. 
Uh, I can't believe that Mars is, for instance, is completely sterile, you know, um, I mean, when there's life virtually everywhere on this planet. Uh, but um, but I, I, I really am glad that it uh, I'm glad that it happened, to be honest. Um, it I still had a good career. Um, and uh, yeah, I still had a good career and I still finished it out really well so uh you know everything worked out well you know and now i can actually dig into it more since i'm retired and and i don't have to worry about the boss you know getting on me about it or like that so do is there a is there a sense of vindication i mean granted we have these congressional uh hearings that a lot of it kind of non-answers and dancing around things, you know, yeah. but, but it is being discussed at least at some yeah. level. Is there some level of vindication that? Uh... Yeah, absolutely. All vindication. I mean, I, you know, I still, I still read the comments on some of the news sites when they have a UFO story. I mean, before they were talking about the government was hiding all this stuff. Now these conspiracy theorists are saying that the government is putting this out there for some, you know, ulterior motives. So, you know, it's like, are these the same people? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm glad the government is is finally admitting it. And I do, I do, I do think that they really are um, uh, generally uh, um, interested in it. It sounds like these congressmen really are trying to dig in and figure it out. And they are saying that it, and it is, it's, it's, it's become from what I've seen on documentaries about these navy pilots there was one navy pilot said every day he went up you know off his air trap uh, as aircraft can uh 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 carry or he said he saw things and every single day and so uh you know that that's that's a big deal you know and i i can't believe it's not in the media more i really can't i don't know why you know they're still kind of you still have that smirk on the on the uh, news reporter's face when they talk about it and and i don't know why they're not taking it much more seriously i just don't understand it, it really is a national security and aircraft safety issue now yeah so yeah do you for bill um just a couple of questions coming in chad did wonder and you touched on this a little bit about Phoenix Lights, but on one hand, look, we were just uh, when this happened, <laughs> we're a couple years out before having uh, cameras, much better cameras on cell phones. But how were how were how was this phenomena similar or in other ways different from Phoenix Lights or other kind of well-known mass sighting cases? Sure. With the Phoenix Lights, the main um, part of that evening that everyone focuses on is essentially a static set of lights that was visible um, from multiple angles at once. It was there long enough to be well recorded. While this event had, as Jack uh, had said earlier, a craft that were jumping several thousands of miles an hour, skipping around the area, um, it would dazzle somebody and then it would be on its way and by the time they got to their destination where they were hanging out for a while that was out over the lake and so i i think it is a matter of um just the length of visibility and um the difference between them is the phoenix lights were a series a formation of 
bright white lights where these lights were multicolored and um, very clearly disc shaped once you got a good look at them. There is another element of the Phoenix lights um, where on the same evening, I don't know if you saw the boomerang craft that somebody had filmed. And so if you take that um, as authentic and it looks, it looks authentic unless somebody can correct me on that. Um, that was, it had a similar Chevron shape to the lights as the actual lights over the city, but it was clearly something different. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, an interesting development with this this story with the Phoenix Light story. Uh, yeah, also, gonna, if you don't mind, uh, please think about the Phoenix Lights, and this was not too long after the Michigan uh, UFOs. Uh, but if you remember, the governor came out and had it, it made me mad when he came out with that guy in the alien suit and. Uh, you know, that here we go again. They're not taking it seriously, you know. Even though he was, he himself had uh, seen, seen something, right? Yeah, yeah Simington yeah. came out several yeah. years later yeah. as a, you know, said, yeah. now I can talk about it. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the Also for Bill from Dave and Alicia, if you had been with MUFON for a longer period of time when this had occurred, do you feel it would have affected how you looked at this incident, both then and now? Um, no, it, it really stands up on its own when you compare it to other sightings. I would have um, realized um, I probably would have been a field investigator at that time. I would have gone across the state to, to, to look at it, um, though having been... I, I'm rewinding back to an earlier age. I was 22 when I joined MUFON. So if I was there a member younger, um, my, you know, my, my limited funds for being that young um, uh, wouldn't have allowed me to, to participate more than I could uh, much anyway, but I, I definitely would have made it out there. And, um, you know, I'm always waiting for the next big event here in Michigan. Um, and there have been some great sightings over the years. There's no doubt some really incredible sightings. But this magnitude uh, of a sighting, you know, I'm, I've been waiting 30 years now for, for the next big one, and we're overdue. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. this isn't – go on, Jack. Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, I remember that the sighting started somewhere – I was reading, I think it was a MUFON report, that the first sighting was somewhere around Houghton Lake, and then it just kind of – the sightings just kind of boom, 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 all the way down towards the southwest <laughs> – is that is that actually kind of the pathway of of ufo reports that you sometimes that you've heard uh i had a friend that actually was in that pathway although it wasn't the same day but he was a he's a serious guy and and we went fishing sometime and he came up after this happened right after this happened he said you know i saw and he's not one to to make something up but he said you know, and he didn't want me to tell anybody else, but he said, I saw this platform over my cabin the size of a football mm -hmm. field just mm -hmm. hover treetop level going off towards the southwest. And that was kind of in the pathway from Owen Lake down toward mm -hmm. South mm -hmm. Haven. So I just kind of wonder, it was in Big Rapids, I believe. And I just kind of wonder if that's like this runway of, of sightings. Is that, or is it just... Is it just scatter all over Michigan and the Great Lakes? 
I mean, is there any hot spots in Michigan? I was just wondering. Hmm. Yeah, uh, not really. So Houghton Lake, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Michigan, is fairly central in the, the middle of the state. Um, and yeah. so then it would have been a diagonal southwest trip to to get to the Grand Rapids area. Um, I would say that the one thing that you learn about the phenomena is people see it everywhere all the time. Okay. Um, in Michigan, we get about 200 plus sightings a year just reported directly to us. Um, now, there have been many um, months when I look at the numbers coming in. It's always California and Texas. They're always going to beat us out. Um, but Michigan's always in the top 10 and usually towards the top. So we get uh, a lot of sightings for for our size and our population. And the sightings come in one or two a week. That's how these 200 sightings come in. And it's persistent all year round. Um, sometimes there'll be one or two more around the 4th of July, understandably. But it's consistent that way. And then when you look at, if you're thinking about the idea of hotspots, it's really where there are more people, you get more sighting reports. Right. That's yeah. simple. Okay. So I only have two final questions for you and I'm going to let you guys go, but you've been very generous with your time and I appreciate that. Yeah. But the, the first one, I guess, you know, Bill, I, I'm going to direct this to you, but Jack, I think you should respond to it as well. Where do we go from here? Because 30 mm -hmm. years later is this is not really a case closed, but what else can we do with this incident at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. With this particular incident, just do the best uh, as possible to document it. Um, I really feel that um, a lot of people in this field have been saying stuff like this for years. We're just about that point of disclosure. We're almost there, almost there. And it, you hear this again and again, year and year and year, whatever. But now I actually think we are at that point based upon the way that the military and the government are managing information around it. I think they're trying to get in front of uh, a disclosure that they won't be able to stop. Um, with the David Grush um, revelations of last year um, and Congress taking them very seriously, looking into them, finding details that may be very uh, much the case that Grush's claims are true, that we have crashed uh, disks and bodies in the possession of the, the U.S. military. And, uh, you know, I, I remember watching, uh, it was an interview between Ross Coulthart and uh, Gary Nolan, and Nolan said, yeah, there's there's whistleblowers lined up to, to spill the beans on projects that they worked on and things that they've seen. And I think what will happen very soon is a group like MUFON is either going to become irrelevant because... Um, you know, case closed, there's something coming here, or we're going to become very, very important. But I, I have a feeling that we're going to flip from offense to defense very soon. I think people are going to be hungry for information and looking for all sorts of places of where to get it. And documenting a case like this um, is, I think it's going to make it to the top of the stack of what people will be very interested in because of of the 
uh, the recordings, uh, the transcripts around them, the police records, uh, the National Weather Service having some records of it, pilots seeing it. I think this is a well-documented case in all those areas, the raw number of witnesses. And it's it, it, it remains um, a, a rock hard case that um, nobody can dismiss it. Um, it, it, this isn't anything where people say, well, maybe it was balloons or something like that. No, people aren't talking like that at all. This either happened exactly how the witnesses described it, or you have 300 liars who oh. all spontaneously made up this uh, story that night. This is one of those types of cases that you could really bring into a court. Yeah, the timeline is just so kind of nicely you know laid out that all of these things were happening kind of at once i don't even know how you really could have coordinated this kind of thing if you had wanted to uh to to falsify it although i i also have to say i am somewhat surprised by part of your statement like the do you i'm going to put you on the spot do you believe grush yes interesting <laughs> I, you, got, you, you have a you you seem uh, this is a whole follow-up conversation, Bill. Like, uh, I, I want it. We'll, we'll put a pin in it and then bring you back to talk about some of this stuff. Because I don't know. I guess my maybe I'm just a little too cynical, but I, I keep thinking that nobody knows what the hell is going on in Congress, and that they're they're kind of putting these these reports together and hearings together. But I don't know. I, it feels like we're getting more non-answers. Granted, there's going to be things that they're not going to say, but. Everybody talking about disclosure for so long. I kind of, I kind of was thinking disclosure would come from the people, not from the government. I mean, that, oh yeah, sure. I don't need the government or military <laughs> to tell me about the reality of yeah. the phenomena, but um, their admission that something is happening would mean that resources that they have to respond to it will um, come into play. Okay, that's good. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. we'll follow up on another conversation about uh, the other stuff, but that's a whole se that's a separate episode. Uh, Jack, anything else that you want to add to uh, what Bill Bill said? I, I I kind of set it up with like what now with this case? Right, right. What now? Well, you know, there's there there are times depending on my mood where I think, oh, how did I get myself into this? People are gonna think I'm so nuts, you know, and. And then I just want to, and then I won't even want to watch a documentary because it just, it, it always reminds me of this event. But then there are other times when I just really want to know what this is and it's driving me crazy. And so I'm, I am watching and I learn a lot by watching other documentaries because I see the sim some similarities in there. And it, it just floors me when I hear somebody else saying something that they saw that I saw exactly the same way on my radar. And so that's that's where I want to learn more about what they're hearing, what they're seeing, and and how the radar worked and and how they picked it up. But but one thing that that you know we have to say is the way you know that always comes that I come back to is the way we verify with real uh, um, true knowledge about uh for instance a tornado going through the area is if you see a tornado on radar and then you get somebody on the ground that says yes i see a tornado 
that's a positive hit. They use that for verification to say, yes, there was a tornado. It's not like, well, there might've been a tornado. No, there was a tornado there. And so the vice versa, if somebody sees it on the ground and says, I see a UFO there, and then I saw it on radar, you know, uh, same thing with it. I mean, with a tornado, if somebody saw a tornado on the ground and then I saw it on radar, it's, it's not a maybe, it's a yes, it was there. There was a tornado there. So it's the same thing with these UFOs that, you know, saw it on the ground, saw it on the radar. If it was a tornado, we would say, yes, it was really there. And so you got to say, you know, you take it to, to the UFO part. Yes, that was, it was there. They were there. They were real. Well, user Chris wanted to know that if you could send a message back to them, to them, would you <laughs> yeah. say say thank you for visiting thank you for the show how does your uh stuff work where do you come from have hmm. you visited the earth long you know i mean i'd have a million questions been to white castle yet right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and but but one thing i i wonder too and this is from watching a lot of stuff is people say why do they just come over here to earth and then do this and then go you know no do we really know that they've come here and then go back to wherever they came from? Or are they actually here and been here for thousands of years and they're just kind of doing their thing, whatever that it is, you know, are they really going back and forth to where they're from? You know, if that's what the case is, uh, or is there something, some, you know, we don't know what, uh, what is it? Something like 80% of the oceans haven't been, you know, uh, looked at. We don't really know what's on the other side of the moon. You know, on the on the on the far side. You know, I like to really see what's up there on the moon. And I'm glad we're going back. Um, you know, are that if we see something that doesn't shouldn't have belonged on the moon, are we going to find out about it? If they have some, anything up there, any technology or some old you know, equipment that didn't belong to us in the last 50 years that we've been going to the moon. Are they going to, is anybody going to say anything about it? <laughs> if so, I hope they uh, come on my show and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Do> nice, right? <laughs> uh, Bill and Jack, how can people follow you and support your work uh, or reach out if they have some strange stories of their own? Uh, Bill Konkoleski. Okay. Um, and, and I'll answer that question really quickly too. If I, if I have just a second is, uh, Chris Bledsoe, who's had a great number of, uh, uh, close encounter experiences. Uh, and he, um, says that his message to them, whenever he sees them is simply we're here or I'm here. And I, I think really that just sums everything up. Like, you know, yes, we share this universe together. I see you, you see me, I'm here. And and, and to me, I, I always thought that was a great starting point to any sort of conversation. And if you see a UFO, there's no better place to report it than MUFON. Uh, you could go to MUFON.com to submit your uh, report there directly. And uh, a field investigator will get back to you. Yes, we have people actually investigate the sightings. We are not just a receptacle of sightings, but we actually have a team that looks at these sightings. MUFON's been around since 1969, over 5,000 members in over 40 countries. We're the real deal. And if you want to investigate UFOs yourself, there's no better place to do it than MUFON. 
if uh, you want to contact me about um, uh, if you've had a, a close encounter, a contact experience, um, and you want to bypass uh, MUFON and hit me up directly, um, my personal website is experiencer.me. Um, and, and yeah, I have a couple books about my personal encounters. And so you can find me there. In fact, if you just uh, remember how to spell my last name, put it into Google. Um, my contact information is all over the place. All right, Bill Konkaleski, State Director. I know your name, and now I can't say your name. Bill Konkaleski, State Director of the Michigan Chapter of MUFON and author of the two Experiencer books, Experiencer Raised in Two Worlds, is part one, so check it out. And uh, Jack Bouchon, like, if people want to say hi, reach out, follow your work, if sure. you put stuff out there. Uh, yeah, uh, I will... Um... I use Facebook a lot. So uh, my email uh, is jackbashong at gmail.com. Very easy. But I get so much spam, it's it's barely usable anymore. So I hardly find, you know, I, I might miss messages. So if you want to, uh, like most people are doing right now that I'm seeing them, is that they just send me a Facebook message and uh, and just tell me what you're you know writing uh um and i will i can i can get back to you and i i do have a lot of a lot of uh messages to field but uh right now but i, I am reading them and then i'm trying to get back to them and i'm trying to follow up and and learn more about what people are seeing so um very interesting well jack bill I, I i'm just so appreciative of your time this was a great conversation thank you for joining me sincerely and I look forward to speaking with you both again in sure, the future. Absolutely. And in the meantime, I am Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.